0: Then, please take your seats. Did anybody get a chance to hear RT this morning at the nine or the eleven? Did you enjoy it? Well it's, it's good to have such a world class teacher with us, isn't it and to, to hear him speak on that. Of course he's going to be, as you know, um, here tonight at the Revival service. And um, it's good to see you here and especially those that regular come. You're very welcome if you're just here for a one-off, but because it says something about you that you come to a teaching service because it shows that you're hungry for the Word of God. And by the time we have finished the book of James, you are going to be intimately aware of the Word of God in, in James as you never would be without doing what you're doing. Now, if you ever miss a session here, you can always go back and see it online, and so that's important. If you've missed a session, if you're here for the first time, I mean, you'll still get what everybody else gets, but I would encourage you to go on the KT webpage and go to the media, and um, all all the James uh, teachings that I've done, I think I've done about three, they're all on there, and you don't have to miss a thing, because one of the things that we do, this is... When R.T. was speaking about the Word and the Spirit this morning, and he was speaking about those that are of the Spirit and that those that are more of the Word, one of the phrases he used was expository preaching. I don't know if you caught that. Well, that's what we're doing here at the 5 o'clock service. We are going through the book of James, and we are allowing James to speak to us. There's many ways of preaching, of course, topical preaching and prophetic preaching and evangelistic preaching... But what we're doing when we go through books like Galatians and James and the Sermon on the Mount, and we did that around this time last year, we are—it's called expository preaching, where as much as possible we come to a book, a letter, here the Epistle of James, and we say, "Speak to us, speak to us as God gave you to us." Not me jumping out, getting a verse, and you know, just preaching off it as a as a leaping uh, as a leaping board or a diving board into something but just to get ourselves familiar with the word of God as God has given it to us, because God has given it to us in these forms. He didn't give us a systematic doctrine book. He gave us the Bible with various types of literature. And here we are in a letter. And if I wrote you a letter that I thought was very important, I would expect you to read it from the beginning to the end. Because if you just picked out one paragraph in the middle, or you might not get the full flow of what I'm trying to say. And many mistakes in preaching are made because the preacher doesn't understand the context of the verse that he's looking at. And so even when we don't do expository preaching, even if I'm just doing a prophetic preaching or something like that, because I've been trained in expository um, study, the first thing I'll do when I get a verse, even if I'll use it prophetically, even if I'll use it in a prophetic manner to speak of something similar, I will always place it in its context, in its whole context of the letter so that I can properly understand it. And so we are going through the epistle of James and um, we will see as we get into chapter two, which will be a few weeks yet, how people have radically misunderstood the epistle of James, to think that James is saying that you can't be saved unless you have accompanying works. In other words, people think, many people, the majority of Christians think James is saying that, that, that salvation is not just about faith alone, as Paul teaches in Galatians and Romans, that your faith has to have works for you to be saved. And when we get to that place, if you've been following this, you will see that that's utter nonsense because James nowhere in this letter is even speaking about the subject of how you get saved from your sins he's writing to the brethren he's writing to people that are already Christians who are already saved and we'll see when we get to that passage that what he's talking about is that how how can just blessing somebody be blessed feed them how can saying be clothed in the name of Jesus clothe somebody how can that save a man from Cold. How can that save a woman from hunger? And so the book of James is actually all about how to face trials from the beginning right to the end. It's about you're saved. You believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're saved. You put your trust in Christ and Christ crucified. You're saved. Now, how are you going to live on earth? How are you going to deal with the tests, the trials, and the mountains that you may face? Well, you're only going to be able to deal with those things if you put your faith to work. And so we see right at the beginning of James, the context is of trials, and I'm going to read from the beginning right up to the passage where we'll end today. James, a bond, James chapter 1, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings, my brethren. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. But blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures." Last week, we looked at the verses 9, 10, and 11. And uh, we've gone through, we've seen that James is saying, look, consider it or count it all joy when you fall into various trials. He didn't necessarily say that you'd be happy and joyful, but he said, consider it, count it as all joy, because God has a purpose in it. And that the trial, which will test your faith, will produce patience, or the word endurance, and then when God says that the time of trial is finished, you will be mature. That's what the word perfect means, lacking nothing. We looked in some of the sessions about when you face a trial, the biggest need is wisdom. Have you ever had a situation or a trial or a circumstance come to you out of the blue, and the the big difficulty is panic, isn't it? I don't know what to do. I I don't know what I should, should do, should say, Shouldn't say, shouldn't do. I, I don't know what to do. There's nothing worse than being in a situation and you just don't know how to react. You don't know how to respond. You don't know how to act. You don't know what to say or what not to say. You just, that that is the worst part of a trial, the helplessness as you face it. But thank God, God says, come to him. Come to him and Ask him for wisdom, that is wisdom, that is practical wisdom, wisdom to know what to do and what not to do, what to say and what not to say, and he promises that he will give it to you. Isn't that wonderful? Nothing can happen to you that that God won't give you wisdom for. We looked at how God can give us wisdom in different ways for different circumstances and how sometimes God doesn't even give you wisdom until the point you need it. You might be going into a really important meeting and you've been saying, God, I don't know how to deal with this meeting and I've been asking you for wisdom and you haven't given me any clue. But the fact that you've asked him, you believe that he's gonna give you wisdom means that the moment you go into that meeting, you will have the wisdom to deal with it. Uh, But the Bible says, but don't doubt. This is the big thing, to be able to trust God. The Christian life is all about trust issues, trusting God and whatever test comes, you have to know that God is the Lord of the trial. He knows when it begins, when it's in the middle, when it's the end, and all he's seeking for you to do is to trust him and to walk in integrity, because whenever you get through the trial, as we'll see today, a blessing comes. After speaking about this, James immediately speaks about the trials that can face two opposite types of people. We looked at this last week, and he says the poor, and this is really the destitute, In in society, he says that they should glory in their honor. Um, Because Why? Because a poor person has got no option but to trust God. And we looked at that, didn't we? After when someone's rich, they lean on their riches. But a poor person hasn't got any choice but to believe God. And God says that's a good spiritual place to be in. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So the poor person, not that God is saying "remain poor," or, or that being poor is that we shouldn't help the poor, or that we shouldn't help people to get out of poverty, he's just saying that they're in a spiritual position of having to trust God, and that's a good place. He then goes and speaks on about the rich and says that the rich, the rich should be on his face, thanking God that he's saved, because the gospel's not really for the rich. Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The poor. Not many of us are chosen, Paul says, rich or great in this world. But it seems like God has chosen the poor, the humiliated, the things that are base, the things that the world doesn't care about. That's who the gospel is for. So when somebody is rich gets saved, um, the gospel wasn't really designed for them. They should just be pleased that they're there, James is saying and that they should see that the wealth and their position that comes with the, the, the finances, they should humble themselves, which is usually the opposite thing that a rich person does. And we spoke about that in detail last week. So now we're moving to verse 12, and this is where we're breaking new ground. Now, we're looking at verse 12, and we'll probably go right through to where I finished uh, at verse 18. Verse 18. And in this section, and the title of today, really is this. Don't let your trial become a temptation. Don't let your trial become a temptation. We're going to look in this section about how Christians respond to external trials. Whether they respond to them correctly or incorrectly, where they become a temptation. Now... Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Can you see that in verse 12? Yeah? You in verse 12? You got your Bibles out? This is a Bible teaching class. All Bibles will be expected. And, I'm, and uh, try and bring in a paper version, please. <laughs> Call me old-fashioned. I like to see people. That's right. I won't ask you to hold up your Bibles in case you start holding up phones and iPads. But get yourself a good old-fashioned bound Bible, at least for these services. (laughs) So, blessed is the man when he endures temptation. Do you know that word? How many have got temptation in their version? Has anybody got anything else? You've got trial in your version. What version have you got? What's it it called? The, The NIV says trial. Well, the word is trial, and this is something the first point I want to make, in the Greek, James was written in Greek, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and in the Greek there is only one word, it's parasmos, and that word parasmos can mean test trial, or it can mean temptation, it's one word. So the word here, blessed is the man who endures temptation, that word temptation is Trial. It's the same word used in verse two when it says, "Counted all joy when you fall into various trials." So in verse two, you could read it, "My brethren, counted all joy that you fall into various trials or fall into various temptations." Verse twelve, you could read it, "Blessed is the man who endures temptation," which is in some of our versions, or you could read it, "Blessed is the man who endures the trial." And so, really, it's the context that will show us whether we should use the word trial or temptation. And in verse 11, it should be a trial, not a temptation. Blessed is a person who endures a trial, for when he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life. Now, in verse 12, having spoken about the rich and the poor and how they are to face trials, James reminds us, that there is an end of the trial. Isn't it wonderful to know that whatever trial you face in life that comes your way, there's an end to it. There is an end. It says here, blessed is the man who endures trial for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. God knows the beginning of the trial and he knows the end of the trial. All trials that Christians' faiths have an end. They have an end and if you, Deal with the trial properly, you will get a reward. God is in control of the trial. Now it says, blessed is the man who endures testing for when he has been approved. Now that word in the Greek means approvedness or character. So in other words, God, when you're going through diverse trials, whatever it is, God is watching To see how your character is developing in that trial. The most important thing about facing a trial is what's going on on the inside of you. That's what God's looking at more than anything. We're trying to get out of the trial. That's what we think. I just got to get out of here as quick as possible. But God, who knows the timing of the trial, is not thinking like that. God is looking and seeing. What's happening, the testing of your faith, producing endurance, but let patience have its work. In other words, don't try and shortcut what God is doing. Something's going on on the inside of you, and that's what God is looking. And when you've been approved, when that character, then the trial will end. God will not put you through the trial just for the sake of it. We're going to come to that because sometimes people blame God for trials. And we're going to come and we'll see that James says, don't do that. That's one of the reactions that we can have. God is working something. So whatever you're going through, whatever difficulties or problems, uh, and you're working your way through them, God is at work inside you. And when the time is right, when the job's been done in you, that's the goal, is maturity in you. That's the goal. When that time, when that maturity has come, then God will deliver you from the trial. The only time when that doesn't take place is if you fail the trial. Sometimes you can fail the trial and God will say, well, I'll just stop it now. But he'll come back to deal with the same issues in a different way, in a different trial later. Do you hear what I'm saying? God wants us to develop. He doesn't want us to be like the children of Israel. They just went round in circles in the wilderness facing the same thing. They never grew God wanted them to go into the promised land and face different enemies and different situations so that they could grow strong and learn about God, learn about themselves and glorify So God's trial, if we walk in integrity in God's trial, God will do the maturing work in our lives and he will bring it to an end when, he, when the job's being done. But we can shortcut the trial through not believing God, through using... Worldly ways of dealing with situations, or just through fainting in the trial. You just faint, and God says, Oh, he's fainted again. All right, turn the trial off. Come on, up you get. Here, have a glass of water. All right, take it easy. Give you a break. But when you get stronger again, maybe a different trial, but with the same purpose, because you've got to grow in this area. So don't run away from the trial. Count it all joy, consider it joy, because if you don't go through it now, you'll have to go through it again <laughs> later. Maybe not the same trial, a different trial, but with the same purpose. sooner we learn that, my friends, the better it's going to be for all of us. Because when you've been approved from that character, that's the, what the word dokimos means, character. I mean, the word, Greek word for approved or approvedness or character is dokimos, Greek, And we see this word in Romans 5, verse 3 and 4. Romans 5, 3 and 4. I'll just read it to you. Paul says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance docimos, character, approvedness. So that perfect, that perseverance, and that's Paul speaking. So Paul and James knew what they were talking about using the same word. Paul says, when you get that character, when you pass the character test, when it's done its job inside you, that's the goal. And when that takes place, it says that you will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. What is this crown of life? Well, the first thing we see from the context is this. The crown of life is the reward that comes when you go through the trial, isn't it? You go through the trial... God works on you, you trust God, you grow in God, you learn about God, you learn about yourself, you get stronger in faith, stronger in the word. God says, the trial's done its job inside you, it finishes, you get a reward. What's the reward? A crown of life. Well, what is the crown of life? Well, it certainly is not salvation. You don't get to heaven by how well you pass a test, or else... Every time you face a test, your salvation would be on the line, wouldn't it? Can you imagine every time a difficulty comes and you thought, if I don't handle this difficulty right, I might go to hell. Is that the gospel? No. No, you're going to heaven because somebody else went through a trial on your behalf. Jesus suffered on the cross so that we would be saved. And so the crown of life is not going to heaven or Getting saved from your sins. It can't possibly be that. If it was, we're finished. Every time a trial comes, your salvation would be, would be under attack. You might, If you don't progress through the trial, you'll go to hell. So it's not that. Although some people believe it's that. Now, one of the keys is the word crown. The word crown in the Greek is stephanon. Stephanon. Anyone called Stephen here? Got any Stephens? crown. This is you. In the Greek, you're a crown. you were well-named Stephen. It's a crown, but it's not a crown like you might be immediately thinking, like a king's crown. This is talking about a laurel wreath. In other words, when somebody won athletics or when they did the ancient Olympics, they wouldn't get gold, silver medals. Only the winner would get the crown, and it would be a laurel. It would be A crown, a beautiful crown of rich leaves that they would wear. Sometimes you see this in old fashioned films about Rome. And that's the crown. It's the victory crown. It's the winner's crown. Today we'd call it the winner's medal. We'd call it the gold medal. So what Paul is saying, what James is saying, sorry, is that when you've gone through the trial, God's going to crown you. You're going to get your gold medal. And I believe that every test and trial of life that we face is like running in the Olympics, 100 meters, or sometimes it might feel more like a marathon. Depends on how long the trial is. I'm sure it can be 100 meters, or it could be a marathon, depending on God. He knows the beginning of the trial, but he knows the end of the trial, because he's Lord of the trial. But as we'll see, we don't blame him because of that. So whatever you're facing, there is a crown of glory a crown of life that God is going to give you at the end of it. And this is a reward. For every test or race, there is a gold medal to receive at the end. There is a well done. Now, this crown, I'm sure it is to do with future rewards in heaven uh, because when we go to heaven, we'll go to heaven by the blood of Jesus, but the superstructure, what we, how we've lived, God will give us a reward or not. 1 Corinthians chapter three speaks about the foundation that is Christ Jesus, that's salvation. But some people build with gold and precious jewels, they're disciples. Others with straw and useless things, they're not disciples, they're backslidden. And when the day comes when both those people are in heaven, they'll both be saved, but the one who did nothing for God, just his life was useless, straw, hay, that person will be saved by fire. He will not receive a blessing or a reward. But the other person that's a disciple that has gone through the trials, as God wants them to do and has built character, they will receive a reward. And I believe the crown of life is part of that. But also God rewards us here on earth. And the reward is internal and sometimes external. When you go through a test, sometimes you can say to yourself, "Wow!" You can hear the Holy Spirit saying, "Well done!" I'm so pleased. I was. I'm so pleased. I dealt with that in a godly way. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been tempted to deal with it not in a godly way, and and yet you went God's way? You refuse. You say, "Whatever happens, I'm going I'm to do it the way God would want me to do it." And you get through it, and at the end, you go, you feel the the congratulations of the Holy Spirit. And you said, do you know, I'm so glad. I was so close to letting anger or manipulation or, you know, or or to stab that person in the back or to do violence to them, you know, in whatever way that might be. But I didn't. I went God's way. And there's that sense, isn't there, of congratulations and of maturity and thinking, wow, I now know that God's ways work. So, and, and also there's a one it's wonderful to grow in maturity. It, it brings that stability in your life. The, the mature Christian is a happier Christian. The immature Christian is like we saw in Jade, tossed all over the place. Trial comes, tossed this way, tossed that way, doesn't know what to do, doesn't know how to deal with it, got no anchor, got no word. But a mature Christian. It doesn't matter what tribulation comes, they stand the same with God. That's where we need to be. And so, so, so that's the crown, that's the reward, the internal reward of growth, of maturity, of the Holy Spirit's well done, of our saying, yes, I went God's way and it worked, even though at times I was so tempted not to. But also this crown can be a reward of anything. God will sometimes reward us materially. Sometimes we go through a trial, and the blessing as we come out of that trial is that God turns it around. Have you ever been in a situation where God turned it around? I mean, totally turned it around. Maybe you lost your job, and you went through a difficult trial, but at the end, you've gone through the trial. You didn't blame God. You just believed God, and at the end, you got a better job than the one you lost. You know the type of thing I'm talking about. You may have not had that, but You know people that have, and you've had similar situations where you went through the trial, and at the end, the blessing, you were were better off at the end than you were at the beginning. Doesn't that sound like Job? Job went through a terrible trial, didn't he? But at the end, he had double than what he had in the beginning. So not only at the end of the trial did Job have that well done from God, God says, you friends, you, you spoke wrong, friends of Job but job understood who i was he he was right in his dealings and his words that's the holy spirit's congratulations well done job but also god blessed him didn't he and restored to him everything that he lost twofold and so i mean we can see that i mean it says in uh, james chapter 5 indeed we count them blessed who endure james 5:11 you have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, and that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. You see, at the beginning of James, chapter one, we're talking about trials. We're still talking about trials at the end of James. James is about how to make your faith work in tests and trials for yourself and for others. So here with Job, he says, "Look, Job was blessed because he went through a trial, and look the, look and see what the Lord intended. During that time, people were saying, oh, curse God and die. Oh, God must hate you. No, God loved Job. God loved him, even though he went through that horrible time. What was the end intended by God? Well, you see at the end, don't you? Blessed twice more than anybody else, had a testimony, had character, strength, maturity, Wow, I'm sure, as I've said about trials before, I'm sure Job wouldn't want to go through that trial again. But I think in the end, he was glad he did. I'm certainly glad he did. Because we've got it in the scriptures for us to read. And James was glad he did. Because he could refer to it to encourage us when we face our trials. God has an intention. And that intention is a crown. It's a blessing. It's a reward. It, it's, it's, it's for those. It's for, it's for you. And that blessing... Can be spirit is always spiritual, but sometimes it is material too. So the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love Him, that's the next thing I want to say. You know, you find out how much you really love the Lord when you face a test or trial. It's like when you're not go, when people don't go through tests or trials. I've used the analogy of some, you know, Christian person or family that move out of the city into a nice thatched cottage in the countryside and remove themselves as far as possible for anything that could be a trial. And you meet them at Sunday at church in the village and they all seem so nice and such wonderful Christians. Yes, but they're not under a trial. And then you turn up at Kensington Temple in Notting Hill Gate right in the middle of London and, um, you know, you're probably sitting next to a trial right now. <laughs> Someone going through a trial is what I mean. I mean, we have, we have all types of people come to KT. All types, going through all types of things. People in KT are people under pressure. Because the Lord loves us. We're under pressure. And sometimes we don't deal with the pressures like we should. I've heard people complain about KT people. Well, you go under the pressure the spiritual pressure, and the pressures that KT people go under. And when you go under their pressure, then you can talk. Meanwhile, go back to your little village church in the countryside and shut up. (laughs) Because you don't know what it is to face a trial. Because you're running from a trial, trying to build your middle-class Christian life in some leafy suburb, trying to run away so that you don't face any trials. But God has his ways. But this is promised to those you say you shouldn't be saying that about middle class people. Well, James is rebuking the rich and those that have cotton wool in their lives right through. We haven't even begun to start speaking to the rich. You wait, you wait. You wait till we see how you treat a rich person. Do you know what I mean? The rich people need to read James because most rich Christians they need a good mouthful of Holy Ghost dirt. They do. They do. James knows what he's talking about. Hallelujah. Promise to those who love. When you go through a trial, that's when you find out how much you're loving the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. And everything's going well. Oh, I love you, Lord. Oh, daddy, daddy, God. I love you. I love you. Wonderful God. Oh, I love you. Everything's great. When it's all going wrong, it's like, I'm not going to church anymore. I won't be tithing again. It exposes your faith, your trust, and how much you love the Lord. Have you ever met somebody going through a real difficulty, but the thing that you're most amazed at is how they still love the Lord? In the midst of what they're going through, they haven't shifted. In fact, they've got closer to God. Amazing. And so trials and tests will expose your spirituality and how much you love the Lord. And this is why we come now to verse 13. Let no one say when he's tempted. Now that's a good way of using the word. Remember, tempt and test is the same word. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. Why is he saying tempted? Why are we translating the word tempt now instead of test? Because it's up to us how we translate it. Because the Greek only has one word, Parasmos, that means test or temptation. So why now? I said in verse 12, it's test, not temptation. But now I'm saying in verse 13, yes, it is temptation. Why? Because now we're talking about being in a situation of not dealing with the trial as James has been teaching us. What can change a trial into a Temptation. Because trials will come, but trials can be turned into a temptation. And the first thing that James is saying about temptation is, when you're tested, don't become tempted and say it's God's fault. And this is one of the first reactions that can happen when we go through a difficult situation. Or we face difficulties, our flesh wants to blame somebody. Wants to blame this person or blame that person or even blame God, and there's many people that have backslidden because during a time of testing and trial they blamed God. I mean, we could look, we could spend ages, couldn't we, with the uh, children of Israel in the wilderness? Every time they faced a test, did it show their love of God? Who did they blame, God? They blamed God and his servant Moses, that's right. So you know, they they go out and they're they're there at the sea and it's like, oh great, we come all this way and now we've got this sea in front of us, we're going to die. They didn't believe the God, they failed the test. They get over there and they say, we're so thirsty, we're all going to die, oh God brought us out into the wilderness so we could die of thirst. And they blamed God and they failed the test. And then when they came to the waters, they went, the water is poisoned, it's bitter. What sort of God takes us out into this place? And, and, and what a cruel God he is. Not, he doesn't just not give us water. No, this God is so cruel, he gives us water that we can't drink. And they failed the test. And God healed the water. Then he's like, oh, we've we got no food. And they failed the test. And manna came and God said, I'll give you enough each day. They thought, no, he won't. Save it. Turned into maggots the next day. They failed the test. Then they started complaining about manna. I want a McDonald's. I want a KFC. I don't want bread. So God, so they failed the test. And God gave them quail. I mean, they failed the test. And then I could go on and on and on. And then God says, here, the land I've shown you. And out of the spies that came, the all but two came back and said, no way. Can't do it. We'll get slaughtered. And they failed the test. But you read the book of Joshua and see how many times they passed the test. You see what I'm saying? And so... The problem with the children of Israel is a problem that we face today is that we immediately blame God. And people do. How could God ever allow that to happen to me or to somebody else? How could you do that? How could you let it happen? How could you not intervene? And we begin to blame God. I know one woman. She was at Kensington Temple many, 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 many years ago. And she was an incredible evangelist. I mean, she'd come out of a drug situation where she was selling drugs, got radically saved. And she was, I mean, she was an evangelist of evangelists, incredible anointing. But then what happened is she went through some very difficult, very difficult medical situations with her back. And as she was going through these back conditions, I, I, I think she still has them today, although they're not as bad as they she blamed God for it. She blamed God for it. How could you do this to me? And to this day, she's not restored to the Lord. Because when she faced this test or this trial, she blamed God. And some of it, I can feel already in some of your minds, yeah, but God let it happen. I can feel that. I can feel it in some people's minds. You see, this is why James has to speak into this situation. Because in some people's minds, I could sense people saying, Well, God did let it happen. Why would God let that happen? And modern day Christianity doesn't know the first thing to do with tests or trials. Doesn't doesn't understand what's God and what's the devil. Modern charismatics, so often they call what's God the devil and what's the devil God. And often it's when it comes to these trials and tests that they face. They haven't a clue. So what do they do? They just deny it. They're facing some illness. They go around saying, "I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed." No, you're sick. You're sick. You're on medicine. No, I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm no, you're sick. But what you're going to, what you need to do is believe God for healing. It's a different thing. It's not denial. It's facing the facts and facing the facts with faith and God, not denying the facts. Let no one say when he's tested, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. I mean, Job, I use him again. Isn't he a wonderful example of this? Whose fault was it that all these things happened to Job? Who who, who did evil to Job? Who was it? Satan. Satan. God didn't do that. Satan did it. But what did God do? Yes, he allowed it to take place. But it's very different. He allowed it to take place. But we just read at the end of James that it, God had good intentions, didn't he? To bless him. The devil wanted to destroy him. And even in the test with Job, which is one of the best tests to look at, because thank God, none of us will go through what Job went. That's why it's a good to see. It's like that's, that's the worst it can get almost. And, God's, and the devil's... Seeking how far he can go, and God says, you can do that, that, and the other. You can do that, that, and the other, but you can't have his life. God sets the limit of the trial, the test. Don't don't think, oh, no, something's happening, and it's out of control. God's in control. But the devil or other people, wicked people, are attacking and destroying, and where's God? Don't worry, God's in control. He said, this far, but no further. Read the book of Acts. The book of Acts, often what takes place is unleashed against God's people, the enemy, persecutions. Paul was stoned to an inch of his life, but he still lived. Why? God set the boundary of the test. So whatever you face, even if it's the enemy, if it's the full forces of hell against you, it's not God, it's hell against you but know that God is still Lord of the trial and that even when the enemy is attacking you, when all evil is is launched against you, God is still Lord of the trial. He knows the boundaries and he even is going to get blessing for you at the end. Consider it all joy. So a lot of this is, is the right awareness of what we're facing. How many of you have gone through a difficult time? You'd never want to go through it again, but blessing was at the end of it. I can think of a number of things, many things in my life that I've gone through, and sure you can, and maybe you should. I would never want to go through those times again. Never want to go through those tests again. The enemy tried to take me out. The enemy tried to destroy. But God set the test, and I've come through, and the blessing and the crown has been there. Not that I faced every trial perfectly, on the contrary, but thank God, he's a God of grace. And although I've never want to go through them again, I'm glad I've gone through them because of the blessing and the maturity and the strength that came. So we don't blame God. Job's friends blamed God. Job's wife told Job and tempted him and said, curse God and die. And he refused to. You see, in every trial, there is also a temptation. There is also a temptation to evil. And verse 14 God does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. You see, maybe this will help some of you understand the temptation of Jesus, or should we use the other way of translating the word temptation to testing of Jesus? You see, Jesus, he wasn't tempted internally because he had no evil lusts, all right? All right. So when we say Jesus was tempted, and we read this passage, some people say, what? So Jesus was tempted because he was lusting inside for wealth or whatever it is, and Jesus had evil thoughts. No, 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 no. He, he, had, he, he was pure, sinless, but he was tested on the outside. And so what we find is that we'll be tested with external things. Situations will arise, and that's the test, that's the trial, that's outside. But also what will happen is on the inside, temptations will come to do the wrong thing. To deal with the trial that we're under. To, to not go God's way. Later on in James, we're going to look at wisdom. And there's a wisdom that comes from above. That is kind, peaceable, spiritual, But there's a wisdom that comes from below that is sensual, demonic, manipulating. It's like the fruit of the Spirit is ready to come out of us during a trial, but so is the flesh. And the temptation is to go the flesh way, to go the flesh way, to blame God instead of loving God in the trial and trusting God in the trial, to blame others. You see, whenever you face a difficulty, now I'm not talking about necessarily massive, huge, big life, you know, threatening trials. I'm talking about the trial that we'll all face tomorrow. It could be a little thing. It could be a moment. It could be a, an annoying boss. Won't be me. I don't, have an, I don't face that. But you may have an annoying boss, or somebody, you know, you or tomorrow. Just a little thing might, might, be, might be an annoying thing. Somebody might push their way in front of you in the queue. Do you hear what I'm saying? These can all be tests. So I'd hate it if you think that when I speak about tests and trials, you know, I'm talking about something so massive and huge and great that's going to come into your life and you're already in fear instead of considering it. joy. Oh, my God, what's he going to let happen to me? I'm talking about sometimes it's the little tests, the little tests that God wants to see, the little trials, your reactions, your responses, what what you can do for harm or what you can do for good, and sometimes that is just doing nothing. So in a trial or a test or a situation that you face, there are two ways of handling it. The first is to persevere, to trust God, to ask for wisdom, to mature, and to get a crown of blessing at the end, to get the gold medal. To trust, to persevere, to ask for wisdom, To go God's way and mature and then get the gold medal at the end, the blessing, spiritual material. That's the first way to deal with that situation. The second way is to let temptation come. To blame God and get angry at God or to blame others. And then to be tempted to deal with the situation in a carnal, fleshly manner. And... When it speaks about how these desires, it's enticement. And it, and it gives us the reproductive cycle of sin. And we see three generations here. When desire has conceived, see that word conceived, the same word you would use in, in sexual conception. When desire has been conceived, it then gives birth to Sin. And sin, when it's full grown, adult, brings forth or gives birth to death. So in this verse 15, we have three generations. Three generations in this reproductive cycle. Desire is the parent. Sin is the child. And death is the grandchild. Three generations, okay? giving birth. Desire and the human will yielding and going that way will bring conception, will bring birth to sin. And that sin, when it's fully grown, and that's a powerful statement. Because people, can, people think that sin works for a while, but just wait, it's not fully grown. Because when the time's ripe, those sinful methods and attitudes of dealing with trials, when the time's right and they become adult, they too will give birth to death. Paul Paul will address people in Corinthians who have died because of this very thing, physically died. This is not talking about spiritual death. Physically died because they were playing games with the Lord's Supper and they were conceiving, desire was conceiving sin and in the end God took them. Paul said, "Some of you are sick because of this, of course, many people are sick and it 's got nothing to do with sin, but this was it. So this is talking about the fact that when you when you face a trial and you go the fleshly way, why, why do people fall? Have you ever thought about why great men of God and women of God fall? You know the TV evangelist or others? and you think, how could they fall well because When they faced the tests, usually it's not just one, but when they faced the tests, they got used to not doing it God's way with patience, wisdom, kindness, love, all those principles. But what happened was they began to deal with some of the great tests that they faced in ministry by doing it the other way. Fleshly manipulation, anger, All the the other ways, trying to cut short the trial, trying to get rid of the trial, not asking for wisdom, leaning on their own strength, and then being enticed to the the evil manner of dealing with things. They thought they were just dealing with situations like anybody in business would deal with things. That anybody with a big company, now a big church, that's how they deal with people. That's how they deal with employers. That's how they deal with finances. That's how they deal when the difficulties come. So they begin to apply the methods of the world to the tests they're facing as mighty men and women of God. And before you realize it, they're going down the wrong path. And they're not maturing. There's no endurance. In fact, they become impatient with people, with situations, shortcuts, shortcuts. And then they end up being dealt with for financial impropriety. Or they begin to blame God in a way, and this can happen. You can get in a trial, and you say to yourself, I'm under so much pressure, it doesn't matter if I take a girlfriend alongside my wife. God understands. Hey, if you are under the pressure that I'm under, then you know, and that's how they begin to think. What is it? Instead of dealing with the trial, they blame the trial or they use the trial as a reason to act improperly. And you will find that when people are caught in sin, very often they don't actually think what they're doing is wrong. You would say, well, it's obvious it's wrong. Not to them. Why? Because they've got themselves in a position where instead of dealing with the trial in a right way, they're shortcutting it. They're blaming God or blaming the situation and then using the situation as a excuse to go down an ungodly path. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So as we draw to a close, and we'll pick this up next, next week, because what, Paul is, what James is gonna say now is he's gonna say, wait a second, let me just reinforce how good God is. Every good gift comes from the Father of light's he never changes. He is the full noon above you all the time. And so don't tempt God. don't don't say when you're tempted that it's God. No, what's happening is you are being matured. And to be refined, to be refined, your faith to be refined like gold, the dross has to be brought up. I remember one time I began to speak in tongues in a totally new way. I, I began to double treble the time I spoke in tongues. And I thought, praise the Lord, five o'clock service will probably treble in numbers because I'm speaking in tongues so much and releasing so much power, sort of thing. On the contrary, what began to happen is all these thoughts of fear and anger began to rise in me. I didn't even know they were there. I I thought I was quite a nice guy, Winston, quite balanced, relaxed, easygoing, stable, I start trebling the time in tongues, and all of a sudden, stuff starts to come up, anger I didn't even know I had, frustration, I, I, on my insides, I begin to get very, very sensitive over what certain people will say to me, I'm thinking, where's this coming from, is this speaking in tongues, maybe I should stop, <laughs> but I began to realize God was doing a work in me, and I was like, God, just just help me to deal with it internally, And let nobody feel what's going on. Help me deal with this in a godly way. And he began to deal with that. So there was a test. That was just God. And so there I was in that situation where God was doing something in my life. These things are very important. James is extremely important, my friends. Because I tell you what. If by the end of this series we begin to live James, we won't recognize ourselves we won't recognize ourselves.